When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Christopher Kimball, host of Milk Street Radio. If you'd like to change the way you cook and also think about food, please check out the Milk Street podcast. We travel around the world to find pizza in Tokyo, Egyptian food in Berlin, and Bhutanese farmers in Vermont. We speak to Jamie Oliver, Rachel Ray, Al Roker, Ina Garten, as well as Michael Twitty, Marcus Samuelson, and Alice Waters. And we'll introduce you to recipes that will change the way you cook, from bright pink Tottenham cake to Afghan dumplings to shoyu sugar steak, and that one is direct from Hawaii. It's a whole new world of food right here on Milk Street Radio. Please check us out on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts, or go to 177milkstreet.com. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. Hello, welcome. It's our bonus Q&A episode of Books of the Year. Still in the studio with Ben McIntyre, journalist North. He hasn't escaped. Uh, oh, very good. Just, oh, yes. just yet. But we will open the door and usher him out uh, shortly. Uh, his new book is Cold It's. You can hear that discussed uh, in our previous podcast uh, episode. In fact, you can hear Ben talking about all last couple of books, actually, I think, uh, if you search the archive. So here goes with the Q&A, Ben. What is the last book? that you really, really enjoyed? Not just mild... Not but so, really uh, enjoyed. Well, look, really I, I love the Chips Channon diaries. I mean, there are three monumental volumes of them. Now, so you can't them. really kind of... They're not really bedtime reading, but, God, they're interesting. And he, the great thing about Chips Channon, who was the great sort of pre-war, wartime, post-war diarist, is that he's a complete bastard. And that's that's an essential quality for a really good diarist, is he's totally treacherous. So he absolutely loves having dinner with famous people and then duffing them up in his diary. Just explain who, who, who he was, because a lot of people won't know. He was an MP, um, very undistinguished MP, actually. But he was, he was an American by birth, but had sort of become very much part of the upper echelon of British. He knew absolutely everybody. And he dined with everybody and he betrayed pretty much everybody. And he slept with pretty much everybody, too. <laughs> so it, his diaries have that great quality of sort of treachery built into them. And that they're brilliantly indiscreet and at times very funny and also very self-revealing because he, he sort of knows he's, he's, he's a terrible person um, and he can't stop himself. Just just before Matt answers his question, would he, how, where would he have sat in the Colditz saga if he'd been in Colditz? Would he have oh, that's a very good question. I think he'd probably have ended up um, being really polite to everybody and then doing them all in, betraying them <laughs> to Eggers behind their backs, I suspect. Do you always um, finish a book, Ben? I'm pretty ru I am ruthless in the first 50 pages. If I'm not enjoying it, I'm out. But once I'm more than 100 pages in, 
I'm staying to the bitter end, even if I'm not enjoying it. How, how are you? How do, do you always finish it? No, I'm very fickle. I don't always finish, and I don't. I don't do the fifty-page rule. I probably should. I sort of sometimes find myself meandering along in a book, thinking, "Why am I still here? I should be somewhere else." But, but, but no, I, I, I don't really have any rules for that sort of thing. I, I do. My, my wall is full of dents of books that I've hurled. Um, you don't want to be hurling Chip Channon around. You <laughs> sort of kill someone, but it's um. But yeah, no, I'm. Uh, yeah, no, I, I'm not very consistent about that. Are you swift to judge? Yes, thought you might be. Yeah. Do you have a, a favourite historical book, whether that be a novel or um, biography or non-fiction? The book that sort of set me off on this trail so long ago, and I wonder if anyone reads it now. It was in Patagonia by Bruce Chatwin, which is his exploration to South America and it's it's part history it's part travel it's it's just a wonderfully narrative driven way of looking at the past and looking at the present and trying to meld them together and that was one that absolutely set me off i don't know if it's a i don't know if you'd call him strictly a historical writer but but i loved bruce chapman i think he's very unfashionable these days and the other one that that really was a sort of turning point for me it was in cold blood which i read when i was about mm. 16 and that seemed to me, and I know that there's a lot of controversy about Truman Capote and whether how much of it he may have fabulated. And I think that's a terrible thought because I, I, at the time I read it and thought, my God, you can actually write a non-fiction novel. Every word of it is true, but it reads like the most gripping thriller. And that 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 changed my life, actually, because I think I've been trying to do that ever since. And... And, and rigorously sticking to the rule that you never, ever, ever make anything up. But in the spy world and the war world, you don't have to. The, the, the facts are so extraordinary, and if the material is sufficiently rich, there's no need to imagine what might have happened, because you've got the record. It's, then it's all in the writing, it's all in the narrative. Jimmy Capote, of course, once played by your old school friend Toby Jones. Absolutely, brilliantly. Yes, yeah. he kind of lost out in the... There were two, weren't there, simultaneously? Seymour Hoffman came on and he I thought, Toby's, I thought Toby's was much better. I, I it is and it's, all, it's also worth saying with In Cold Blood that it is so good and you realise how good it is. When I, I read a book, and I'm not going to name the writer for obvious reasons, I read a book by a very, very well-known writer who did something similar um, where he'd based uh, the book on real events Absolutely everything that he was writing in there was true, but wrote it as a novel, and it absolutely didn't work. No, and... you can't do that. I mean, I always, even particularly, I mean, your listeners will know, I suspect, probably agree with me on this, that I always smell a rat in something that describes itself as non-fiction when the author says, he may have met, or he might, might have thought, mm. or we can imagine that he might have done this, or she might have smelled that, and you think, mm -mm, you can't do that. You, you, the minute you start doing that, you are writing a novel. That's a different. That's a totally different exercise. So I think I think rigor on that is. I I would say this, but I think it's very important. So next question: Do you have a favourite screen adaptation of a book? You're not allowed to say Rogue Heroes. Off oh. you go, Ben. <laughs> oh well, then it's got to be Operation Mincemeat. That's yes. easy. That's that's very easy. No, I can definitely do that. Um, what, what have I enjoyed recently? I mean, I think. It's such an interesting alchemy, isn't it? The, the taking of the written word and, and moving it onto the page. I, I'm still lost in admiration for people who can do that. People occasionally say to me, oh, why haven't you tried writing the screenplay? Because I wouldn't know how to start. I think it's a completely different... 
it's just a completely different method, really. I think it's, I, you know, I, I, I'm amazed. I'm trying to, now, now that you've asked me that, I can't, I can't even now think of... I'll have to come back to you on it. Yeah. Uh, I had some conversations around that art form. When, uh, when I wrote Mad Blood Stirring, which was mm. set in Dartmoor Prison, there is a screenplay which has been written uh, for that by Jack Thorne. And I sat and had a conversation with him, and it, you're right, it does sound like a, it's a, it is a complete... He said, I couldn't write a novel. My guess is Jack could, because mm-hmm. Jack's such a great writer. But it is a completely different method. It's a completely different approach to telling a story. Mm. And so I'm kind of with you. Let's get the specialists in, you know. Let's get someone... Well, I think it's so brilliant, isn't it? Because it's not about explaining anything. It's about implying things and leaving the spaces between language and using dialogue to explain emotion. And that's that's totally different from what I do. I would be constantly trying to explain what was happening on screen and killing the action stone dead properly. Um, but actually, to go back, to, I, I think Toby Jones in In Cold Blood, in, in the Truman Capote story, I know it's not I mean, it's Truman Capote story, it's not In Cold Blood, but that is a, that is a brilliant adaptation, I think, of a life. But what's it, I know we're drifting off, but what's interesting about Rogue Heroes and Operation Mincemeat is that it's like a novelised version of your book. So therefore, they are make, they are doing all the things that you said that you wouldn't do in your book, and that's what they are doing in the movies and on the television. But I love that because, of course, Operation Mincemeat began as a kind of novel. I mean, the people who framed up Operation Mincemeat, this plan to take a dead body and ship it somewhere where the Germans would find it with false papers, was created by frustrated novelists. I mean, they they set about to create a character as if they were writing a novel. Then it came out after the war through a novel by Duff Cooper, who had been Minister for Information and knew all about it and realised the only way he was going to get it out there was to put out a novelised version of it called Operation Heartbreak. Then it became a book by Ewan Montague, one of the people who was involved there, called The Man Who Never Was. That then became a film. Now I've written the non-fiction version. Now there's a film and now there's even a musical of Operation Mincemeat, which is really? about, to, about to open in the West End. So it, it, all of these stories are different iterations of the same reality, and I, I love it. I, I, I think long may it go on. A functional writing question. Do you have a favourite place to write, or can you write anywhere? As a, as a journalist, I can more or less write anywhere. I particularly like being on aeroplanes at the moment because nobody can call you, nobody, there's no email going to get in, you have... You have I've just come back from the States. You have sort of seven hours of uninterrupted scribbling, which is great. But no, I can pretty much write anywhere. But the place I love writing is is Scotland. I'm I'm so lucky. I have a sort of place on the west coast of Argyle. Um, again, very remote. The phone don't ring because the phone don't work. And it's and I love it there. And it's a great place to get buried deep into a book. I I'm on a kind of cycle at the moment where I research for about a year or a year and a half, and then I write very intensively for for another year or, or so. And I, that process of sort of hermetically sealing myself off in Scotland really works for me. Is that the, is that the silence? It's the silence. It's the it's knowing that you're not going to be disturbed and that you can you can sort of wander into your your sort of written world without interruption. It's gorgeous around there as well. We were up mm. there this summer. I spent an entire week boring my family by going, "Oh my God, look at this!" Oh my, every corner we turned. But it, it is beautiful, amazing. isn't it, Matt? And it's also sort of—it's still, I think, the sort of most undisturbed part of Britain. I mean, it still is. Uh, you can walk for miles mm. where we are. Yeah. We're never seeing another soul, but but really feeling you're in a kind of wilderness. It's a great place just to let the blood slow a bit. Absolutely. Just before Matt's final question, just on the silence, just because I think it's very interesting. Because some people write with music. Um, 
some people say yes as long as there are no words in the music maybe just instrumental maybe some Max Richter or something just playing in the back and I I still have in my head my father coming up I'm doing my homework with the radio on or something and he says you can't work with the radio on and I said yeah yeah, yeah. you know I'm just drawing a map for geography or something like that and he was absolutely right and uh, and as I sort of try and write a bit more it has to be silence there has to be there is something about the rhythm of music gets in the way of the rhythm I think we betray our age by thinking that because actually my children seem to find it perfectly possible Mm -hmm. to do their homework be online play a computer game and have music going all at the same time I think they have slightly different wired brains from us because I've spent half my life shouting at my children saying, you cannot possibly concentrate. They seem to be perfectly capable of concentrating with any number of different things bubbling around them. So I think that probably is okay. just, just you and I. I couldn't write with music on. I just could, I couldn't even begin to, particularly not if there were lyrics because they'd end up in the, in the book. <laughs> uh, so a final question then, Ben, and obviously we adore your books. My guess is that your column for The Times on Saturday is already, is already written. But if you were weren't an author, if you weren't a columnist, is there a profession you'd have you'd have found yourself in? Well, I like to think that I would have been a spy. Oh, there it is. But I don't know they that I would. They turned you down. You wrote, <laughs> you wrote last week, they turned well, you down. did they turn me down? <laughs> did they follow up your application? No, no, they didn't do that, and nor did I. It was a mutual parting. But actually, do you know what? I think I'd have been a hopeless spy because, as I said in that column, I can't keep a secret. Um, I, what else would I have liked? I think, I, think I, I think a history of some sort would have been my world. My father was an academic historian. Um, it's... My brother and sister both studied history. History was the sort of story. The past was our was our world. I think perhaps I would have gone back to university and done a done a postgraduate degree, and then maybe ended up teaching history in some form or other. But I think I think it would have been a historical world for me. I think. Ben McIntyre, thank you very much. Cold It's Prisoners of the Castle is published by Viking. It's out now. And if you want to get in touch with us before our next uh, show drops, you can email us at any time. Books of the year at yahoo.com. I don't know anyone else who's got a Yahoo No, nobody email. else. I don't, None I, of the kids. Does it actually no. still work? I have no idea whether Yahoo's even there. Anyway, you can have a go. Uh, also, you can follow us on Instagram. Wow. We are at uh, pick any page. That's at pick any page. I'm not on Instagram. I need, to, I. I need to really get on top of that. Are you on Instagram, Ben? Uh, no. No? OK. But you can still get in touch with us via <laughs> pick any page on Instagram. Via social media we don't use. Thank yeah. you very much indeed for listening. See you next time. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Christopher Kimball, host of Milk Street Radio. If you'd like to change the way you cook and also think about food, please check out the Milk Street podcast. We travel around the world to find pizza in Tokyo, Egyptian food in Berlin, and Bhutanese farmers in Vermont. We speak to Jamie Oliver, Rachel Ray, Al Roker, Ina Garten, as well as Michael Twitty, Marcus Samuelson, and Alice Waters. And we'll introduce you to recipes that will change the way you cook, from bright pink Tottenham cake to Afghan dumplings to shoyu sugar steak, and that one is direct from Hawaii. It's a whole new world of food right here on Milk Street Radio. Please check us out on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts, or go to 177milkstreet.com. 
Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the aging process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip <laughs> off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford, and Craig Revel-Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.